Hey guys, welcome to What's My Thesis. I am your host, artist Javier Proenza. This is a fun month. It's Made in LA month in Los Angeles, which is in reference to both the show in the Hammer Museum. I think, I don't even know if this is an on-year. I think last year was the year because it's a biennial. But every year, Maiden, as in Handmaiden's Tale or Iron Maiden or other things that seem overly aggressive, um, is an event that's happening. Molly Shulman will be on, the co-founder, will be on to describe it a little bit later or on the show. But I just wanted to give you a heads up that we're going to, we had a very good start to the month with some really interesting shows that I enjoyed. Uh, a lot of stuff at the Bendix building was very good. We had... Jamie Hamilton did a thing this first weekend, uh, and then we also had the opening at TSA LA. I speak we, uh, but I take no ownership, just so that you know. We in Los Angeles were privileged to have these things happen, but uh, if you want to know a little bit more about Made in LA, Molly Shulman will be here to describe it a little bit later. And we'll see, we'll, I'll be discussing some of the stuff that I've seen throughout the month. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a good networking opportunity and a good opportunity just to see really interesting things that people are doing that don't necessarily have access to bigger institutions, um, which is the whole point. So please enjoy this live taping from Sirs Gallery which I want to thank John Milan, Nico, and Saskia for all their uh, support for What's My Thesis and allowing us to tape at their very, very, very prestigious and well-respected and long-standing. I think you'll hear a little bit more about Cirrus Gallery, but I really hope you enjoy the show. Only one heads up... Um, there are some tricky audio things that I had to work around. I won't get into it so as not to taint your experience, but my audio is coming from Bryce's track. So I'm the host. I had to boost it a little bit sometimes, but I also didn't want to overwhelm the audio with my bullshit. So please enjoy the show. Definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? First off, I'm really excited that we are uh, broadcasting or recording live from uh, Cirrus Gallery, a gallery print shop and publisher in downtown Los Angeles, now nearing its 50th year of continuous operation. Uh, Bryce, did you know that they were 
50th years, that's a long run, man. They're pretty legendary yeah. in the scale of uh, Los Angeles art. Yeah, that's, a, that's amazing. Anyway, uh, Cyrus' early commitment to working with LA artists, institutions, and thinkers, ahead, uh, and thinkers spearhead the creation of what is now internationally referred to as the LA Arts District. This commitment is ongoing. So I really want to th thank Jean Nalant for having us do the show here. Um, and now I want to introduce my guests, who are Molly Shulman. Who, these are actually both artists that I really respect. Uh, there was a little concern that none of us were experts on this topic, which I appreciate. Uh, it is fun to do that it that way, though. Uh, we'll see. Anyway, so my guests are Molly Schulman and Bryce Bischoff. Molly is a co-founder of an organization that I'm quite fond of. I think both of Bryce and I participate uh, called Made in LA. Hi, Molly. Hi, how are you? Good. Can you tell us a little bit about Made in LA? Yeah. In a nutshell, Made in LA is a program that represents Los Angeles artists that any Los Angeles artist can be in. So it's, um, it's decentralized. We don't really have a location. It takes place throughout the month of August each year. This is our third year. We're entering it. Our launch party is on Saturday, so one week from today, at Tiger Strikes Asteroid in the Bendix building. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's essentially an art fair that anyone can be in. And in, in doing so, we're trying to dissolve hierarchies within the art world. And I think it's actually, I mean, I've been, I participated in the first one, and mm -hmm. I've been, like, participating You've been, you've gone above and beyond, uh, Javier. You. <laughs> you have, it's true. It's been really fun, and it's been, yeah. it's, it's, it, like, it serves its purpose, which is to really just get you to know people, uh, and, yeah. and get to meet people that you might have interests in common with, and... I think that one of the things that, especially coming from Miami, a lot of people that I've talked to, they are surprised at how isolated the different art scenes are. It's not like one, it's not like over there they have the Linwood Art Walk. So I really think that this is a really exciting way of unifying everything. Yeah, well, Los Angeles is so sprawling. Yeah. And it is, it's a good way to connect and network with other artists. Um, I'm glad that you found it to be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's and it's also, work. it's a totally volunteer artist-run venture. Yeah. So we're exactly. just sort of putting our sweat into it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I always appreciated how you guys were able to embolden artists to participate because, you know, there's social aspects of any uh, mm -hmm. art community that kind of the shyer or less mm -hmm. outgoing people might not be as willing to participate in and you're kind of pushing them over the ledge and allowing them to yeah. have a voice. Thank you, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. Well, that is part of it. I think collectively having a lot of people participate in something together sort of gives everybody a little wind in their sails, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so the little guy can be on, the, you know, show in the same program as, you know, a larger institution, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, I want to acknowledge that you have a co-founder Mm -hmm. Salome Absolutely. Grace, who is also really awesome. Yes. Fantastic, uh, yeah. And who used to work right here in this very gallery. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and what's it called? Well, I would definitely say that just seeing you two guys work together on this over the years, I probably wouldn't have been emboldened myself to even start a podcast. So it's like... That's it, awesome. No, yeah. it's, it really is a, uh, an amazing way of sort yeah. of getting people to even... Like, I mean, I... 
did one event on the first year where six people came. <laughs> I loved your first year event. I, I appreciate it. But, <laughs> that's when but, I first met you. Yeah, but that's, that's, the, uh, that's yeah. sort of what I really like about it is like, even if no one shows up to your mm-hmm. event, you're still holding an event. You've still put on your own event, which as, is really the point. And it's as so, this live taping yeah, is. It's so good to hear you say that. Oh, that no. That really is. That's exactly point. why you're here. It's you like, know? sort of gives you a little momentum and a little confidence to put on your own show. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, anyway. And then we yeah. have Bryce here. Hi. Who is a, a very talented artist. Uh, and he, you're about to go to Brussels, right? Yeah, in one week's time, I'm going to go to Brussels Doing for a residency. A, a residency. It's nice. called the Penthouse Residency. So, uh, the, the penthouse? It's called the, it's called the penthouse residency. It's a really weird history to this, uh, specific, uh, uh, the curator invited me to go over there and it's basically in a hotel and I am going to be live working in a penthouse for oh, a month in, that's Br- awesome. in Brussels. That's really funny. It sounds a little bit too good to be true, but I think learning a little bit about the history. Uh, Ronald Reagan stayed there when he was president. And and it might be one of these hotels that it's past its prime. And, (laughs) (laughs) but when I'm gonna be there, I think it's more about working really hard towards an exhibition than anything else. So I don't think I'll be enjoying the penthouse in that specific way. (laughs) Do you get room service? I do get room (laughs) service, yes. You're gonna be living like Eloise. That's yeah. great. I mean, I don't How have... How long is the residency? It's a month long. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I haven't lived in a hotel for longer than a week, so this is going to be a strange existence. I bet, yeah. I mean, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be crazy. nuts. crazy. Yeah. Huh. I've yeah. never heard of that. That's really incredible. Yeah, and I have wild plans to make work and uh, maybe travel to Paris to see some friends. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's going to be a good base. Mm-hmm. When I'm in Brussels, it's going to be peak... Euro holiday, so there's oh. not going to be any peoples yeah. there that are actually from there. I'm, people made that abundantly clear when I told them what time of the year I was going. Like, no, it's like the twilight zone. No one's there. So at be all. in the penthouse in an empty city. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> check and check. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I guess let's uh, get into this topic. Let's dip our toe into. I see Molly is already cringing. <laughs> no, no, I'm fine. Well, yeah. I'm just trying to contain my excitement. You're excited. <laughs> well, definitely feel free to uh, protest if you feel like this is a little too dark because it does get a little weird. But I do want to talk about the future. I'm going to start with the darker sides of things, uh, but if that ends up. Um, like getting you two down, just remember we're gonna get to the people that have good outlooks on this technology. I love darkness. You love darkness? Okay. <laughs> the world is already yeah. dark. Yes, no, I know. Well, I'm gonna bum you out beyond Donald Trump. Okay, I just wanna also quickly state that my name is Alexa. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're a replicant and uh-huh. you're here. <laughs> I'm part iPhone. Oh, no. All right. So, this is from Wikipedia. I'm going to give you guys two definitions. Wikipedia says, The singularity is the hypothesis that the invention of artificial superintelligence will abruptly trigger runaway technological growth, resulting in unfathomable changes to human civilization. 
According to this hypothesis, an upgradable intelligent agent would enter a runaway reaction of self-improvement cycles with each new and more intelligent generation appearing more and more powerful, uh, oh, appearing more and more rapidly, causing uh, an intelligence explosion and resulting in powerful superintelligence that would quantitatively far surpass all human intelligence. So that's basically what we're think what we're talking about today is the idea of uh, making a creature or a being or an entity, an artificial technology that is smarter than us and what happens to us when we do that. And this is predicted to happen by 2045. So within our lifetimes, okay? So get ready. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'll okay. be retiring right around then. Yeah. Um, the singularity, uh, then this, this is another definition, the singularity is, the techn is technological change so rapid and so profound that it represents a rupture in the fabric of human history. Some would say that we cannot comprehend the singularity, at least with the current level of understanding, and that it is impossible, therefore, to look past its event horizon and make sense of what lies beyond. And that's Ray Kurzweiler, or no, Ray Kurzweil from uh, RayKurzweil.net. He's one of the big guys... Uh, there's like three people that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, he, Fortunately, they're all white guys. Well, he, he was like early internet, too. He did yeah. work in Berkeley, and he developed Java for the web. Yeah, and then, and then Bill Joy also uh, worked on Java, which was crazy, because mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's like basically everything that we use right now. The fact that this microphone is like, or you know, that a hard drive shows up as its own thing in a network, or like you plug in a camera into a network. All of that stuff didn't exist before. Some microsystems started to develop this stuff. He so. works at Google currently. Oh, does he? And he's he develops the auto reply for your emails. So when you <laughs> when it says, "Yeah, I'm free tomorrow," and you just press, "Yeah, I'm free tomorrow," or "Today won't work for me," he developed that. But do you oh. use that? I use that all the time. Oh, okay. I, I know Google's just, reading our emails. I think emails, my phone yeah. just started doing that. Mm. But wait, so wait, you guys are Android users? No, it's an iPhone. It's an oh, iPhone. Gmail. Uh, Gmail. But Gmail app on iPhone, and it'll, be it'll like read your on emails. on my way. But I yeah. typed out on my way to you earlier. <laughs> I typed it out. I just want you to know. But I copied them. Uh-huh. Their yeah. language. But it yeah. tries to mimic your, your intonation and the way that you phrase things yeah. so that it's coming from your voice. Oh, really? It reads the email and it gives you three potential responses. I always responses. feel that it's pretty accurate. It's something yeah. that I would want to say anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's sort of, that's so weird. So but, that shows us that we're kind of yeah. in this transition. Yeah, line, right? but whenever I see, I don't ever opt to use that auto. Even if I say the same thing, I usually type it out. What's that? <laughs> uh. You're still holding on to the past? Yeah. You're a Luddite. Oh, You're a Luddite. Robot overlords rule you. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about this uh, article that, hap that, that was written in 2000. And I want to remind you guys, it's interesting because it all happens before 9-11, before terrorism. And he talks about these things as if they are concerned. So it's not like in, 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 he's writing this before we became a world where it was all, um, you know, who, who's the terrorist that we're going to get this time, right? And he's al already concerned about these things. So uh, this is Bill Joy meets uh, Ray Kurzweil at a convention, and he's sitting with this guy, John Searle, who is a philosopher who studies consciousness. And the, he, uh, 
Ray starts continuing a conversation with Sarl. Uh, like they were on a panel together at this conference and then he was just hey oh you know what you were saying and he was getting uh, really excited about it and he was basically telling them that at the rate of technological progress uh, it was going to go it was going to speed up and people would eventually merge with robots so like we're eventually going to upload our consciousness into a machine and essentially become immortal and so this Oh, Sarl thought it was like not possible because you can't make a machine conscious. But Joy was really taken aback by this because this is the first time that someone he respected had brought him this science fiction scenario that, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of, we've all seen it a lot, right? Yeah. Um, so Ray Kurzweiler has a really good track record for accurately predicting uh, these kinds of things. And so... He was basically breaking down this new book that he was working, and when Joy read the book at first, he was excited about it because it was, uh, you know, it was this idea of like, oh, there's all these problems are going to be resolved eventually. But um, then he reread it, and he started to feel like, wait, <laughs> there's like some things that there's uh, these safeguards that are in place that seem kind of naive. They don't really fully, um, it's like this utopian vision that maybe they don't uh, necessarily agree with. So he basically reads this article about, uh, or he, re he reads this passage, and it's by uh, Ted Kaczynski. And so Ted Kaczynski has this really interesting outlook on how technology is going to pro progress and he's taken aback that he relates to Ted Kaczynski and he like agrees with him because Ted Kaczynski is kind of a Luddite and this guy is works for some microsystem and developed like he didn't necessarily invent the internet but he helped develop it quite a bit so um, what Kaczynski wrote was that assuming uh, uh, computer scientists succeed in developing intelligent machines that do everything better than humans, in that case, all work will be done by vast, highly organized systems of machines, and no human effort will be necessary. Uh, and then one of two things might happen. The machines are allowed to, take, to make all their own decisions without human over oversight or, human maintains, or the humans maintain control over the machines. If we allow the machines to t make all of their own decisions, we can try to make conjectures, but it really won't matter because we don't understand the way that they understand it, right? They're getting to a level of complexity that we can't fully grasp. Um, and some would argue that we wouldn't necessarily give away control willingly to machines, but like you said, we're already kind of doing that, right? You're, you're, you have these little systems that sort of tell you oh, you need to stand up right now and do, do a little walking or you're going to be worn out uh, or it's not healthy for you, right? Uh, and like, like what you were saying, just the idea of the emails that uh, are automatically written for you in your voice, these are all little algorithmic things that we're getting used to, but maybe like in the 80s if that happened, they might have been, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. It would have been a very uncomfortable sort of thing. So... Um, yeah, and... and the idea that we're still talking about Ted Kaczynski's ideas, despite the fact that he, you know, killed three people and yeah, he's, oh yeah, he was, I'm sorry. you know, published uh, in uh, 
the Washington Post and the New York Times is kind of uh, out for his brother to turn him in. Uh, his words live on, but that was the only reason why they published them in the first place. Yeah. But yet, people examined it and extrapolated all these different ideas from it. No, yeah. absolutely. And, and it's funny that you say that because basically uh, Bill Joy gets his mind blown because he reads this article, like the way that Rick uh, Kurzweil presented it is that as a, oh, this is like a not likely scenario. Uh, he calls it the new Luddite challenge to his ideas, mm. but when he reads it, he kind of feels weird that he relates to it, and then he sort of he's, he starts showing it to people like, "Hey, Bryce, read this passage," and then he goes, <laughs> "You agreed with Ted Kaczynski." Yeah, it's like <laughs> putting people in a corner. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I found that interesting, um, and like whatever he goes on, he he has. Uh, uh, another version, like Kaczynski has another version of it that's sort of like um, uh, in Brave New World where people are engineered to be subordinate uh, to, to, you know, because the main issue that is going to keep coming up is this idea of what will life have, what meaning will life have when we do not have jobs and we don't define ourselves as the things that we do we have You'll see, like, there's UBI, universal vacancy income for everybody's coming pretty soon, but eventually, um, just... What's coming pretty soon? Universal basic income. The idea that since all the jobs are leaving, uh, you get all the basics for, uh, uh, like, you get paid through taxation. It's a, I, had, I had to do a whole episode on it. It's pretty complicated. But it's this thing that everybody's talking about, the idea of... Everybody gets a basic income. It's not welfare because there's no. It's unconditional. Just by existing, you get the basic funding to live. And there's a bunch of programs throughout the country right now and throughout the world. Actually, they've been doing it from from like 2010. They've been. Uh, and the idea is that everything is going to become cheaper. Um, but then it's going to go past a certain point, and that's where we're talking about more in this episode, where like. Everything is going to become so demonetized that um, there is no, like, food is going to cost zero. Everything, the cost of everything is approaching zero. We'll get, I have some clips that can speak to that a little bit later. Yeah, we can go into specifics, but I think it's interesting to hear how you're presenting the idea of singularity because there's always these tropes of robots taking over uh, completely giving up your control to these machines, and yet that reality, I think, is going to be not exactly close, like, not even close to what is going to actually happen when, oh, yeah. this, when singularity actually happens. But because of the, you know, the idea that I was invited to do this, I did a little research about what robots actually were, and it went back to this play in the oh, Czech, yeah, the yeah, Czech yeah. Republic. Do you know this? It's like I don't know. It was the first time that robot was used in the English language. Like, yeah. um, and so wait, I don't know. I want to know. It's okay. it's this play <laughs> called R U R, and it's called uh, Rossum's Universal Robots, and it's this sci-fi play from 1920. And it was so popular that in three years it was published in all these different languages, and basically the 
robot as defined in the play was something closer to like what a replicate might be, that it was very close to human form. It didn't have any kind of machinery necessarily that was associated with it, but it was definitely not human, but mm -hmm. surpassed human intelligence. And the idea that it was actually controlled by an organization or a corporation was also very you know, telling of what the first iteration of the word robot and all that associations with robotics yeah. are gonna be you know, coming to term. And what, um, it was by Carl Capic is the, the playwright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically the uh, robots revolt uh, and they overthrow humanity by the end of the play, and it becomes this cautionary tale, but in the 1920s, yeah, yeah. you know, and so that becomes something of how we are defining it even to this day, and it was really interesting to think that this kind of thought was imbued into the word before we ever invented robotics. Yeah. No, as amazing. a thing and what the you know the duality between inventor and machine it becomes a slave ownership yeah. and even in the word uh, the row in the word robot is you know indicative of slave oh it does yeah and so that becomes what was the original how, language? Uh, it was Slavic it was Slavic. a Slavic language yeah so you know that becomes a way that we are moving through this conversation and you know the those ideas that people like Elon Musk have of the future these yeah. ideas that this guy Ray has of the future you know it's all defined by this art mm -hmm. and that's beautiful yeah, yeah you know this play that was <laughs> you know in in uh, the Czech Republic it's great yeah it is pretty cool it, well it's it's uh, these like What's interesting is that, like, and it's a good point that you make about um, how we won't really have a real sense, because I think that, like, in the definition that Ray, uh, that, uh, we'll just call him Ray so that I don't have to say Kurzweil, <laughs> that Ray has, it's very, um, it's, it, he says that some people say that we can't see past this event horizon. We can't even imagine it, right? And so it's becoming even more defined. So one of the things that, um, you know, that Bill Joy sort of is a little bit more of the doom and gloom pessimist guy between him and, and Ray. And they actually do panels together, often playing both sides of it. And so... Um, some of the points that he makes about this technology is that uh, the, the concern is that these robots are engineered organisms and nanobots can self-replicate. So this is the first time, and it, it adds to that element of creating something. Like, we're creating something, but then we won't have any control over it. And so that sort of gets into, like, more uh, questions of, like, are we gonna have like more empathy for God when shit doesn't go right? Cause <laughs> we may have been created, but the assumption is that if you create something, you can control it. But if you are, if we're going to make this entity that is going to become smarter than us, and then it can keep copying itself, it doesn't need us anymore. We're completely becoming irrelevant and, and, and unnecessary. Um, 
Yeah, and it, it's interesting to talk about the realities of what that might look like and the realities of how that's coming to, to be. It's like all these different fields are moving in this, like they're funneling down to this point. You know, if you look at nanotechnology with our iPhones, <laughs> we, have, we have a way of, you know, putting, you know, all this equipment that would have costed, you know, how many, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment do we have in our pocket now? now. Yeah. This is like, this cost would have cost so much like 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and that goes to how we're devaluing, you know, demonetizing hardware, you know, things that are actually existing in the world and it's all becoming different. And that's a good thing. Oh, no, in, in the same way, but then, you know, you look at genetics and the way that, you know, the, the kind of ideas behind genetic engineering, whether it's food or whether it's, you know, helping people in terms of healthcare, mm-hmm. that's moving more in that direction as well, where you, you give yourself over to this algorithm mm-hmm. that can create something more efficiently, uh, better and faster, and the ways that those things are helping instead of hurting are far outweighing, you know, the potential risk. And I think what the actual singularity event would actually do is let us be maybe a better and more uh, just well, uh, society as a result of it. Yeah, well, a lot of parallels are, are drawn to, like, if... if, if we want to go into that, um, like a lot of parallels are drawn to Star Trek, and that that's where, because basically the idea is that if you have things that can replicate themselves at the molecular level, you can create anything. So that means we have the replicator from Star Trek. Do you watch Star Trek at all? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like rolled my eyes when you said Star Trek, actually. Well, but these guys are nerds, dude. These guys are nerds. No, so of course, but they. Parallel yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've but seen Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> Did you see the new solo? The new one? Yeah, no. there's a new movie. No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but no. So I do agree I I I, I do want to get into more of those positive like I have a, a, a few examples of the positive outcomes that are gonna be sh- in the short term. Yeah. But I do kinda of wanna talk about a little bit about the dark possibilities because um, because these things can self-replicate, they do have unlimited... What does that mean exactly, though? I mean, like, because as of now, like, my phone just dies and I have to plug it in. Yeah. Nobody's doing that for me, you know? So, no, 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 no. that's a fair question. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm simplifying it, but, like, what does it mean, okay. more, you know, so, realistically? That's a good question. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a fine question. All right, with bio, with genetic engineering, well, let's go into nanotechnology because it's more related to what your question is. So, Eric Drexler, Eric Drexler has uh, a book called The Engines of Creation, and it's about how manipulation of matter at the, at, at the atomic level could create a utopian future of abundance where just about everything could be made cheaply and almost any imaginable disease or physical problem could be solved using nanotechnology and artificial intelligence. So, uh, in another book, he makes he talks about these things that are called uh, assemblers. They're molecular level robots, and they assemble things. And so, they can produce anything at low cost. They can even clean up the environment, and they boost your immune system 
by being on you. So okay. it, it's I just like, no, um, that I, don't understand. I think it would just be like a, a matter of um, scaling up or down 3D printing. You know, if you scale it up, you could build a building uh-huh. with a machine, or if you scale it down, you could, uh, you know, fight disease. It's like a 3D printer that can 3D print itself. That's, mole- that's molecular, but it o- isn't only a 3D printer, it can also do things. So there are these little assemblers everywhere. You don't even see them. Like right now, how you, you know how you have germs on you? And bacteria, sorry to, if you're a germaphobe to remind I'm you. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, instead of that, we would have all these little things, and they would be inside of us. At, like, so this is sort of break, breaking into that man and machine thing. But, so imagine just every, everywhere, everywhere, and if you want to make something, it just comes out of nothing. Okay. Because yeah. these things can, all, all, they, all they need to do is have a source of uh, energy, a source of materials, source materials, and that's it. And they can make... But who's providing the energy source and the materials source? Uh, well, the right... The slaves? The humans? Yeah, well, that's, that's, where, that's where it gets a little tricky. But yeah. before we get into those dangers, um, it's... It, uh, so he's concerned because... What we can do is we can create this great goo problem. Uh, it can be used militaristically and terroristically without a suicide bomber. So you can use it. As, you can weaponize these little microscopic things that you can't see, and you can even fuck up doing a lab experiment. And all of a sudden, it attacks the biome, and within three days, everything is gone. So it just so we're making things because these things can self-replicate, and the same thing happens with. Um, with genetic engineering, there's the fear of the white plague, which is you can actually make um, organisms that specifically target genetic uh, uh, markers on people. So you could like literally commit genocide on a whole populace, population of people without um, any research institutions, any government institutions, it's all done at the corporate level, at the private level. So all of this technology, what makes it so dangerous is that it's easily accessible. Like with nuclear technology, you needed uranium, you needed all these different, like, really rarely rare materials. But this shit, you can just like, oops, you know. And so there's this idea that Drexler has of creating this countermeasure, which is this system that would... Um, basically always attack anything that gets out of hand, right? Anything that breaks out or anything that's designed to hurt a certain group of people intentionally. But that shit itself would be super dangerous. That mm-hmm. entire system. And then that system, there's no saying it couldn't get corrupted and then attacked. So it's like this, like... So this is the very, very pessimist view of these things. And so they consider him a bit of a Luddite and they think that all of these ideas are really, really far into the future. But that takes us real quick to um, Ray Kurzweil and his law of accelerating returns. Did anybody get a chance to check this out? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think we're we're looking at like a two-year jump of, uh, you know, a horse and buggy to automobile. Yeah. You know, and that, that means that in two years, all the horse and buggies were replaced by automobiles and within 100 years that we've experienced an equivalent of 20,000 years of technological advancement. Yeah, And exactly. if you look at, you know, the toys that you played with and the technology you had growing up, 
and compared to the technology and the capabilities of it now, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a really easy analogy to make mm -hmm. and to understand that law. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what he says is basically that in the next 25 years, we're going to see uh, 100 years. So a lot of people are like, um, not sure that, that Bill Joy's view is going to happen, but what people can't really wrap their heads around, they have this intuitive understanding of how um, technology develops. And so we think like, oh, well, when's my next fucking iPhone going to come out, you know? Or like, it, or the iPhone was revolutionary in 2007, it was a paradigm shift but we haven't seen one necessarily in a while. And so what Ray Kurzweil says is that we're gonna see more and more of those happening more regularly. And if you think about like, when we went from like, just the personal computer to like, now, it just, it's fucking ridiculous. Well, I mean, I don't know what, what you guys think, but the idea that you have uh, this technology in the hands of a few, it becomes the idea of who the few are. Yeah. And if the few are a government, then that's one way of being pessimistic and dark about it. If the few are a corporation that has this technology, and you know, maybe a good example of today would be SpaceX, mm -hmm. you know, that have this development of newer, newer, and newer technologies where you know, maybe if it was a government, there would be some sort of social aspects to what they're doing, but because they're a private corporation, there's no beholding of social responsibility. Yeah, no, And so that's what is equally terrifying, I think, is both of those scenarios. Right. Yeah. And the administration. <laughs> Which administration will yeah. we be under? Well, and I think that that's one of those things that, like, it's, it's interesting that you bring this up because this is a lot of the discussion right now between the right and the left is sort of this idea of bringing back coal jobs and all of this thing. We have all these people that are starting, that through globalization ended up being stuck on, uh, what's it called, just like driving Ubers and now within two years those are going to be automated. And the price of having cars is going to drop cre like crazy or because uh, you're not going to own a car, you're just going to be... So like this, you're gonna be chauffeured around. You're gonna be chauffeured around, and like you can take naps on the way to your commute and all of that. So it's it's there are some definitely some benefits. I want to actually real quick. Uh, I would love to take a nap on my commute. On your commute, yeah. <laughs> I know you commute <laughs> like commute crazy. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit more about the world that Ida's gonna live in. Okay, and I got a few clips for you. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> So this is from, a, this is Peter, Peter Diamandis, and this is from a talk, he, he's co-chair of the, or big honcho establisher of the, the Singularity University, which I think Ray Kurzweil is involved in some ways, but here. One of the things that's changing as well is the cost of things. And so uh, we talk a lot about the notion that uh, Technology is going to cause us to lose our jobs, lose our income, but there is a countervailing force that's going on right now at the same time, which is the demonetization of living. I believe we're rapidly moving towards a world where all of these things that we use, that we need to be alive, if you would, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, 
are very rapidly trending towards zero cost. And it's going to change capitalism in a very fundamental fashion. So that is basically what we're talking about, just everything becoming insanely affordable. And uh, yeah, I'm going to put that. Yeah, and the idea that the destruction of capitalism won't come from some revolution, but will come from technology. Yeah, and so Bill Joyce proposition is to prevent all of this shit from happening is to sort of be like, let's not do anything, which kind of goes against the idea of what it means to be kind of human, which is to have a lot of questions and, and wanting to get answers. <laughs> <laughs> so when I think about AI, I am not worried about the Terminator. I'm not worried about the notion that this advanced intelligence is going to, you know, uh, try and destroy us. I think that's a ridiculous assumption. I, I understand. I am worried about the fact that we're going to have a disruption of jobs from AI and robotics. And it's not the fact we're going to have a disruption of jobs. It's the speed at which we're going to have that, that change, right? It's the speed at which we have that. So I'm thinking about that a lot. I don't have an answer for that. I'm concerned that people are going to lose their jobs. And while we're going to have, I think, I think universal basic income is going to come in very strong. I think we're going to demonetize the cost of living so that the cost of living, not living forever, not going to Mars, not doing the extraordinary things, living, uh, being healthy, having a great education, having access to amazing entertainment, all the things that, to, that would be what a billionaire can do today, you know, 30 years from now will be basic living. Um, I think that we're going to demonetize those things, but people are going to have, there's going to be uh, psychological impacts to losing my persona of when I ask you, what do you do? You tell me your career, you tell me your job. So how do we connect people? So how does that sound? Uh, well, I don't totally understand. Is this a move towards socialism where everybody is on the same level, or is there still a 1%? Is there still... There's still going to be a 1%, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's always going to be some right. level of control. Even a top That's what it 1%. seems like. Yeah. It seems like way more of a... Yeah, might, yeah. a 1%. <laughs> it might be like a... More point, of a divide. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, it gets into that, like, once we get into this place where we're all living like billionaires, which I love that, like... They have such a rosy like, <laughs> approach to this, like, yeah, yeah, no, it's great, we're doing all of this, which is why I like Bill Joyce. It's like, all right, chill out, guys. <laughs> we could destroy the world doing this yeah. stuff, but they do get really excited, right? Yeah. Um, but that sounds kind of awesome. And but Wait, if, what sounds awesome? Like, that we'll all live like billionaires. It just depends which billionaire you want to be. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, he's, he's speaking in terms of, like, entertainment, in terms of food. You won't have to worry about food. You'll have, like, the ability to just self-replicate it kind of thing. Right? Like... Right. But then, in terms of identifying with what you do, I mean, there... Certainly, there's still arts and humanities and people who are thinkers and... Yeah. Academ academia and I mean there's just so much beyond like being I no. don't even know what they mean what no, but, well, yeah. but, but, yeah, but you, the yeah. mass of the population does not necessarily value those things the way that we do I forget but the, you said entertainment who's creating entertainment replicants 
Uh, no, we are making free entertainment right now. It's been demonetized. Yeah, the way that we can YouTube, we can listen things. to any song that we want to yeah. free of free of oh, anything. Oh, I see. And, That's considered entertainment. Yeah, yeah. but um, <laughs> but in it's a all way. old. Who's creating new content? We are right now, and we're giving it away for free. So, like, uh, there's a whole. There are all new, these new industries. All podcasts tend to be free, and then they have like a Patreon or some sort of money-making system, but for the most part, everything is trending towards that. Even Napster sort of fucked all of that up for, for the music business, right? So, so it's, it, I know that it's like a hard concept, like that's the whole point. Like, this is a hard concept to wrap your head around. But let me, let me play another clip and then we can keep talking. Uh, if I have a nanobot and I ask it to replicate itself 500 times, and I give you each one of those nanobots, you then have the ability to create anything you literally want that is a function of only three things, the energy, the raw material cost, and the cost of the information. And so we're living in a world where you can have a Ferrari, a mansion, or literally anything for near zero cost. So if you could, let's do the, if not, the if you had a billion dollars game, but in the singularity, what are you gonna have for yourself? Like, what would your life look like? <laughs> Anything that you're dying to have, guys? No, I mean, I, I think what, no. what, it, what it, I'm not desiring much, actually. But um, I think in the, in the aspect of how it would help, I mean, it was talking about healthcare and these right. aspects of, uh, quality of life that are so struggling to be even close to what they should be now would be a reality that you could constantly be scanned for cancer every morning when you wake up or if you or would that cause cancer yeah (laughs) exactly well (laughs) in the hopes that it would actually be a preventative measure yeah well, that's, that's sort of Bill Joy's point, is that these systems are also complicated. So these guys are getting really excited about this technology, and they're like, yo, check this out. You're going to have a Ferrari, <laughs> right? But like, and then I ask you guys, and the first thing is like, mm, what do I really well, want? Well, it's true. I mean, I don't really want an, I, an object, and I, like, I, don't, I don't want anything necessarily. But I mean, in terms of helping people, and technology being good for healthcare, that mm-hmm. sounds amazing. But I mean, I want yeah. other, I don't know. There's like more humanitarian. What about global warming? Yeah. The world's going, I mean, it's melting anyway. Well, and I think that the, what's interesting about what's, this. How do these timelines coincide? I know. And I think that one of the things is that, well, this is going to be by 2045, is that we're going to hit this technological point where, it, according to Ray. But um, I think the way that. Kurzweil, think, Kurzweil thinks about it is that, first of all, these nanobots, this is actually Eric Drexler, who is the uh, nanotechnology guy. He says that we're going to be able to use nanotechnology to clean up the environment. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other thing, the other question I have is like, does it really matter if we clean up the environment if we're robots and we don't need it anymore, right? I mean, I don't... Oh, wait, I, that's singularity not a, is when we become robots? Yes. So... Well, it's a matter of, I think it's, you know, reverse engineering the brain, the human brain, and then putting that into a machine and then letting the machine become 
smarter than us because it has a connection to all knowledge and has this connection to all information, which we never could memorize that much. We could never fully understand it. But it would still have all the nuances of the human brain with you know, complex emotions and complex um, ways that they you know, develop methods. And I think the main point is that it doesn't have to be biological for it to be intelligent, is what we're headed towards. And it is a fair question. Like one of the things that I wrote down here that I have a, a real question is about, okay, so let's say that you merge with a machine and now you're immortal. What's to say, or like I die and my consciousness gets uploaded. What's to say that I feel a continuation from here to that? What's to say I don't just end and then there's this new consciousness that's being made that has all of my memories and is essentially me but is not, you know, it's an interrupt and it's a new creation. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I think we, we do, but I think it's it's such a... The concept alone doesn't fit within uh, any reality that we it know. It doesn't fit in reality. I also just keep thinking about, like, what about lobbyists and people? Like, this is going to be fought every step of the way because it doesn't it doesn't fit but into business interests for people. But who's, who, <laughs> who are the ones doing this? Well, I don't know. This is the, this, these are the corporations that have the lobbyists. So this is like... This isn't just me like saying like, oh, this is what's going to happen. This is like, and so what's, this is like actually a terrifying um, possible outcome where, or at the very least, there are people who are moving us towards this direction enthusiastically, right? Well, maybe this will mean that we won't deplete the Earth's resources. <laughs> no, there's, that, that, yeah. there's, there's both sides to uh -huh. that, right? But well, then at the same time, there's that element I mean, of, we as humans have just decimated... Yeah. The yeah. Globe, but I, you know. But I think with with certain technologies, you could maybe predict that we're moving towards zero emissions in the distant future with the, the way that with solar technology. Not with a push towards coal. Right, yeah. but then there's an obvious conflation with right. technology and politics that right. they are always going to be at complete, you know opposites of each other in many ways but then the, there's those moments where they come together like getting to the moon was a perfect example of that where you know all this technology was pushed into this event and because of it all these newer inventions that benefited everyone were kind of made from it yeah i think i think the main thing is that since this is all happening like it is a hard thing to sort of envision because it is a complete change to the way that everything works. And I think that that is what the point that they're making is. It is hard to sort of wrap your head around. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is that the trend is that everything is getting cheaper to make, cheaper and cheaper to make. And the things that they, like nanotechnology right now is completely theoretical. But what this guy's saying is that, like for right, right now there's this thing called Moore's Law. And it predicts how, like the cycles of how quickly transistors are made smaller by a certain amount. That one has, that law has its limits. And eventually we're gonna reach the extent of that um, modality of production. By then, something else has been developed that will take over and push us. So the whole, I think that the, the thing that's hard to wrap your head around is the idea that the next 25 years, However you, like imagine 100 years from now. What world do you see there? That's what it's gonna be like 25 years from now. 
And so it's really hard, and that and and you you're taking well, a lot of the. Well, it's hard for me to understand that also because, for instance, with Ida, I'm raising her in the way that I am familiar with her, that I was raised. So yeah. like so far, she doesn't. I mean, she automatically, I guess, is exposed to more technology, but it's it's hard for me to see that that would be the case in 25 years. <laughs> No, absolutely, no. And I think the whole point of it is that right now we still have this illusion that we have control over technology. And we're slowly, 20, 2045 is essentially the moment where we will no longer be in charge of it. And there will now be this intelligence that's higher than us, right? Like, for example, with healthcare, one of the things that you were saying is they predict, they, they diagnosed a person's case of leukemia that no one else, no other, no real life doctor could do by running data sets through this uh, program and it figured out like, oh, she's got leukemia of this kind. Mm -hmm. Same thing, like, if you think about, like... But when we become robots, we won't have disease. Or yeah. will we? Exactly. Well, we well that might happen before we become robots. That might happen just with nanotechnology. We'll have, and essentially, we'll be symbiotic with that technology. Uh -huh. But, um, but yeah. aren't cell phones? I thought cell phones were giving us cancer anyway. Well, all of this shit is going to kill us. <laughs> 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 but here, I got, I got. This is some more uh, specifically education. Oh, based. I just have a quick question. Yeah, go ahead. Is this mostly? Um, uh, in like how, how are we thinking about this globally? I mean, because it seems like we're talking about the United States. Yeah, no, we're talking about the whole world. This is China is the ones that are the ones that are buying the most robots because they want to stay competitive in the market, mm -hmm. and cost of labor is just not competing anymore. So they're the ones that are buying the most robots and all of that. So this is like a global thing. Like I think that when you're dealing with this stuff it sort of breaks down national politics because by that time, we won't even be a country because Trump will have fucked everything up, right? <laughs> but here. Well, yeah, I mean, but looking globally at the trend of democracy over time, I think most, the, if you look at it mathematically, like, the world will be mostly democracies, you know, in mm -hmm. however many hundreds of years, that the trend is that direction. So not by 2045. Probably not, no. <laughs> but it's going to be, I mean, I think that's where right. the darkness comes in, where it's going to, you know, people are going to lose their jobs worldwide, and there's going to be a big disruption between what life means and what, you know, what is actually going to be basic human income to actually survive. And, and that transition's going to be rough. Oh, yeah. And, but I think that what, like, basically a lot of these people are saying is that, um... Your daughter's going to grow up in a generation of a lot more artists, a lot more thinkers, because it's sort of like when we went from, uh, when, when we became an agricultural society, people could start to pet specialize, then we became industrial, people could sell their labor, now we won't sell our labor, we'll exist, we'll essentially be this useless thing that's served by robots, and at what point will those robots be like, fuck you? Right? We're essentially making an entity, we're making a god for ourselves, and we'll get into that in a little bit, um, but uh, not a little bit, there's not that much time left, don't worry. In the very <laughs> near future, and we're talking at most 10 to 15 years, the education of the poorest child in the world and the education of the son or daughter of a billionaire delivered by an AI will be, the, will be equivalent. 
So we're heading towards a demonetization of not just education, but the best education. Delivering the education in the child's language, appropriate for their culture, appropriate for their background, appropriate for what they want to become when they grow up. So we're going to see a demonetization of education, where instead of education costing us a fortune, education is available effectively for free in the long run. So that's, everybody gets the same education, but it's from an artificial intelligence. Yeah, <laughs> how, how, I, how I can't wait to not teach anymore. <laughs> I mean, education should be free. Yeah, but... Yeah, it should be free. It, and it, gonna be, it's not going to be uh, given by educators anymore. Right? I, I think that's okay, actually. Yeah. yeah I'm, totally cool on, I'm totally on board with it. Have you yeah. ever taught an online course? No, I haven't. No. But I feel like it's pretty alienating if you were to go down that route. Yeah. But if you look past the personalities of teachers, um, you know, a lot of personalities serve their students. A lot of personalities don't serve yeah, their students. But and what if about you, students have all different learning styles? Right, exactly. Well, and I think it would, it would be proposing that they could manage to educate a specific individual based on who they are yeah, they more effectively than, right, more effectively than a teacher oh. would be able to. And it was the same argument for doctors. Like you would want to do a surgery with a doctor that's done that surgery yeah. uh, 10 times in a week. And so you would actually trust the robot to do your surgery more than the doctor who's done it 10 times because the robot has done it thousands of times. Yeah, and it's more like than, precise. And, and it's more see, precise yeah, than... They're not limited by our vision. They yeah, can see, and, feel the MRI. And the robot didn't have a bender the night before. The robot didn't, isn't going through a divorce or, you know. <laughs> you have interesting stereotypes for doctors. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> well, they do pull really long shifts. They do, yeah. They're really they're stressed out. Yeah. Stressed. <laughs> and then uh, a little bit more about education. But this is more about, like, what will be the skills? Well, the person asked the question. What do you believe to be the, the critical skill of the future? What is going to be a critical skill that we would need to bring into to our future workforce? So, great question, and I'm asked this as a father. I have two six-year-old boys, and everybody says, like, what do you want to teach them? What do you want to do? And so, it, we're, we're entering into a world where we are all going to have AI software shells. I call it a software shell. It's an AI that is with you all the time, that surrounds you, that sees what you see, that hears what you hear, that reads what you read, that is monitoring your body, that you give permission to all of these things. It's, right, it's Jarvis for Iron Man. And we're going to have a version of Jarvis within 10 years. And so ultimately, you know, it's not about memorizing facts anymore. It's not about memorizing things. And what I think one of the most important things that we're going to have is the ability to ask great questions. So what I focus with my children a lot and I focus with entrepreneurs a lot is asking great questions, right? It's a critically important skill. The other is gonna, is gonna, be, uh, is gonna be curiosity and creativity. I think a lot of what we're gonna be doing is creating interesting virtual worlds that we're all gonna be exploring in the, in the future. But uh, it's... <laughs> it's going to become, uh, one of the other things I think about is as AI becomes a dominant force, what is truly human is going to start to become teased out. 
right, when you look at the difference. And there will there be a difference? I don't know. So, first of all, I, I, when I heard that, I was like, ah, fuck that. Like, that sounds so creepy. Like, and then I was like, I have a cell phone. What am I talking about? That sounds exactly like a cell phone, except not in your pocket, right? To have this AI that's around you all the time. And then I was also thinking, like, that'd be kind of handy, though, because I could just Google shit, like, whenever the fuck I want. <laughs> but, yeah. So that's a little look at the kind of future that we have ahead of us. It seems from your expression that you are not pleased with the outlook. <laughs> well, what happens if you opt out? And you don't want to give permissions to the technology. Same thing, I guess, with your iPhone. You just don't have certain functionality. Like, you wouldn't be able to use GPS. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that... I, I mean, would have to look at a Thomas guide. Yeah. <laughs> you could do that. My GPS doesn't work on my phone. I still, I mean, I just, I go old school. So <laughs> it's still possible. It feels weird. It definitely does. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, I think that there would be a subculture of people that would resist... Certain I'm sure that things they would be, yeah. about that oh, future, yeah. and they would probably be cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's going to be, if you don't like artisanal cuisine, like that's uh, good luck, buddy, because that's like everybody's going to be on universal basic income making their own like products and stuff. That seems oh, kind of like it would Everyone's be kind of. Everyone's going to make their own cheese and honey. Well, yeah, yeah. It's interesting to think about, you know, the most popular thing that you were um, in the 1800s was a farmer. Yeah. And that idea is completely bifurcated now. And mm -hmm. what are we now? You yeah. know, what job are we? And the fact that that could change in a hundred years too makes perfect sense because yeah. If you're living in the 1800s, you're probably a farmer. Yeah. You know. Well, one point I want to make about... <laughs> I grew up on a farm, so... Okay. <laughs> if, uh, Not everyone was a farmer, Bryce. <laughs> most people. <laughs> of your generation. Yeah. No, that sounds like a Jeff Foxworthy thing. <laughs> if you were born in the 1800s. Um... Yeah, well, one of the things that I didn't get to really express correctly is, like, exponential growth it's, it, it, of, of technology. It's like when you have one apple and then all of a sudden you have two apples, it's impressive. But that's a doubling, right? But when you have a thousand or let's say a million and then you double it and then you have two million, now you have to, like, account for a lot more increase, right? And so... Expon like the exponential growth of technology has always existed. Back when we were inventing the wheel, it was a slow curve. So it didn't really, like the expectations were low and it was a slow curve. Whenever you are on that line, wherever your lifetime is on that curve, you don't necessarily see the curve because it seems somewhat straight, right? Mm -hmm. And so we are in the lifetime where like, if you think about how much our lives, uh, as you guys are Xennials too, right? Uh, are we what? Xennials, that's uh, oh, yeah. millennial, Gen X, that like 75 to 85 year range. So. We are, I guess. I yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. yeah, we are. I just okay. never called myself that before. I, I, I have to brand it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we, most of us do. I'm a do. farmer. You're a farmer. <laughs> So, I love farm life. <laughs> <laughs> w 
one of the things that characterizes our generation is the fact that we went from using telephones to using cell phones, from uh, watching uh, TV appointment television to DVR, right. no internet. And we grew and, up without the internet. Yeah, we grew like up, yeah. So yeah. we're a bridging generation, so, but we are defined as a generation even though we don't cover the same amount of years because the changes were so dramatic that we're not, that we're sort of our own thing. We're not millennials and we're not the other thing. Yeah. So even in that, we see just this, like, within our lifetimes, I mean, we've seen some crazy shit. And if you, it's pretty shocking. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's just amazing that the concept of nostalgia is mm -hmm. a political movement. Yeah. Oh, and, well, yeah. make America great again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so, yeah, and yeah. It, it makes sense that that would be a gut reaction to this rapid advancement of yeah. things yeah. because people don't think that their childhood is the same childhood that they're raising their kids in. Right. Well, what's, what this is generating is a thing called the precariat, which is a social class of people that are defined by their precari the precarious nature of their existence. They don't have steady income, uh, you know, because they're, they're, they're underemployed or they're not employed or whatever. And so, what this is like recapping from that universal basic income episode, but the, a lot of these protests like Occupy Wall Street and all of this is, is people sort of not really knowing what to do about the situation, but at the same time saying like, yo, I identify as this class of person. And so what's gonna be interesting is that move. And so there's the two forces, like, like you said, there are, there's healthcare, there's Silicon Valley, there's um, Wall Street, and these are all these industries. And essentially, the ones that are like, oh, let's stay capitalist, fuck the consumer, are over here. And then the ones that are going to stand to make the most money from this are over here in the Silicon Valley. So they're basically just going to try to wipe them the fuck out. But anyway, there is a church. I want to talk religion to you. Okay. And I want you to maybe consider joining this church, uh, Molly. Oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting all the requests. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been much of a joiner, but I'll, <laughs> I'm listening with open ears. No. So the way of the future church is started by this guy, Anthony Lewandowski, who is accused of stealing self-driving car technology from Google and taking it to Uber, and it was a big case. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So he started a church with an artificial intelligence godhead. God. Guide? God. 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 Godhead God. Um, so... This is, I'm just going to read from their website, and then we'll end on this. But uh, the way of the future uh, is about creating a peaceful and respectful trans transition of who is in charge in the planet from people to people plus machines. Given, the given that technology will relatively soon, quotation marks, be able to surpass human abilities, we want to help educate people about these existing, existing future and about the existing future and prepare a smooth transition. Help us spread the word that progress shouldn't be feared, or even worse, locked up or caged. So he's talking about Bill Joy there, who's like, let's not. Um, uh, that we should think about how machines will integrate into society and even have a path of becoming in charge as they become smarter and smarter. So that this whole process can be amicable <laughs> and not confrontational. <laughs> What? <laughs> uh, in recent years, we have expanded our concept of rights to both sexes, minority groups, and even animals. Let's make sure we find a way for machines to get rights too. Let's stop. <laughs> 
let's stop pretending. Where does he stand on gun control? Oh, <laughs> you don't want to know. Um, <laughs> he wants automated weaponry, which is something that I spared you guys. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, in recent years we have expanded. Okay, I got that. Let's stop pretending we can hold back the development of intelligence when we are when there are clear, massive, short-term economic benefits to those who develop it and instead understand the future and have it treat us like a beloved elder or who created it. So it basically wants us to be treated like, oh, thank you, we're smarter than you, but we praise you. <laughs> so um, the things we believe. We believe that intelligence is not rooted in biology, while biology has evolved one type of intelligence, there is nothing inherently specific about biology that causes intelligence. Eventually, we will uh, be able to recreate it without using biology and its limitations. So, instead of having to wait for biology to evolve, we'll just be able to have machines that have a faster evolution cycle continue to evolve past this. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so basically that's just the shit that I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. How do you guys feel? Are you, are you, did I bum you out? No, you didn't bum us out. The well, speak for yourself. The spiritual, aspect, <laughs> the spiritual aspect of the future is very uncertain. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the thing is, this is theory. We don't know what's going to happen. I, I like how you're looking at me I, right now. I, I, I love you're your like, 2045, June, June, what day, what day, what day? June, no, 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 I love your skepticism first? because, because <laughs> I, have been, I have been terrified of this shit while I've been researching it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, you kind of have to just take it day by day. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard. I, yeah, it's a tough thing. I don't know. I mean, I have... Um, parents in their 70s and I have a child who's one year old and then I'm an exennial <laughs> farmer <laughs> um yeah I don't it's it's hard for me to see to see what you're talking about yeah really. no I'm well I think there's so many people um that think about this stuff yeah. because <clears throat> of their role that they see as being uh maybe a way, if you're playing in this role, you can see within the future because you're working on this technology, you're working within this sector mm -hmm. that is actually the causation of a lot of what this theory actually in, enables. So then when you're, uh, my friends re recently toured JPL mm -hmm. and it was kind yeah. of a private tour of JPL and uh, you know, that whole campus is a really big testament to where the government wanted to go at a certain point in its history and mm -hmm. now SpaceX is on the other side of things and uh, but even at JPL people have a very clear responsibility for propagating humanity mm -hmm. past earth that that's something that is very much on the minds of people that work right. there and so even though this future might not come within their lifetime they're working on a day-to-day -day basis with this idea in their heads. Yeah. And that's something that pushes things towards that direction, towards that direction yeah. because mm -hmm. they see that responsibility and they're talking in terms of saving humanity. Yeah. You know, what if I went to my job as a teacher and I'm like, I'm really going to save humanity today. <laughs> you don't? No, I don't. <laughs> 
Yeah. You're kind of down on teaching. No, I love teaching. It's just the summer, and I'm still teaching. So. I'm yeah. teasing. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of it all. But um, I'm going to keep typing my emails out. Are you going to keep typing your emails out? You, what, have, you, have you noticed any changes? Like, to... Things, like, basically the idea is that you will, we will slowly accept it, mm-hmm. like... No, I, I believe that. I've definitely slowly... Accepted, like, yeah, different... lots of things. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> Alright, guys, well, I want to thank you for coming out. It's been great. Uh, I hope it wasn't too warm in here. No, it's good. It's good? Yeah. Okay. I, I think li- it's good. Get a I like my conversations. <laughs> <It's> sweaty. <laughs> in a sauna-like environment. Well, it's been just warm enough that my sweat actually pulls me off. Oh, so, good. Yeah. Oh, good. There's a positive. Um, no, thank you. This was fun. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate it. And I definitely, it was a pleasure having you guys. Thank you so much for coming.